Hey, Cracked fans, as winter slowly turns into spring and all of us look forward to getting back on the outdoor tennis courts, we here at Cracked Rackets want to ensure that you listeners have everything you need to make sure your return to outdoor tennis is a successful one. That's where our friends at Gamma Sports come in. Now, if you need new strings, new grips, new court equipment, ball hoppers, machine tools, and accessories, whatever it may be, our friends at Gamma have it all for you. They've also, of course, got dampeners, over grips, replacement grips. They've got it all. And if you go to their website, gammasports.com slash tennis right now, you use our promo code CRACK20, you'll get 20% off your order. Now, I know Gamma has a new string pattern in the queue called the React Pro which all of you Gamma String users will enjoy. And even if you're not using Gamma Strings, maybe now's the time to start. But they've also got polyesters, everything you could be looking for from a tennis equipment standpoint, all in one location. Just go to gammasports.com slash tennis right now. Use that promo code CRACK20 to get 20% off your order. Again, gammasports.com slash tennis. Use that promo code CRACK20 to get 20% off your order. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Saturday, March 20th. The reason for these muted tones on tonight's podcast is because I am still in my hotel room. It is 11.49 p.m. here on Friday night as I get ready for a championship Saturday at this 2021 Cleveland Open, a.k.a. the Cleveland Challenger. It has been such a joy for me to be back on site at a professional event, have the opportunity to speak with so many of these fantastic players competing here week in, week out. A fun story for all of you listeners that I know are the person this story is about won't mind me sharing. Unfortunately, for some reason, It's become really difficult to get an Uber or a Lyft right now in the city of Cleveland. And as such, J.C. Aragoni asked me last night, he goes, Alex, I don't want to risk it. Do you mind driving me to the airport at 5 a.m. this morning? And all of you listeners know my fondness for Virginia tennis, the success of the Who's probably the reason I got into podcasting in the first place. So, of course, you know, I was like, yeah, you don't even have to say anything else. I'm there, J.C. I got you. He's like, oh, can I supply coffee? Can I supply donuts? Because, of course, he is such a kind man as well. But I was like, no, 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 please, please. This is my honor. I've been waiting to be asked this question. So that's the sort of intimate experience we have this week at the Cleveland Challenger. Of course, given we are still amidst a pandemic, all of us here who are a part of the event trying to help out, trying to accommodate all of the things that need to happen to successfully run a professional tennis event. And so much credit needs to be given, not just to Sam Duvall, but you know, to Laura, to Guthrie, to the entire top-notch management team, Kyle Ross. I can't believe I forgot him. They have been just so phenomenal in hosting this event. And, you know, it took so much work to host the first American challenger of the season. They have blown it out of the water. You talk about the reception from any player you ask, and they will say how fond their experience has been here this week. And it's led to some fantastic tennis on the court. Of course, that fantastic tennis in my efforts to help facilitate some of that tennis. I'm serving as the MC here this 
week. I've also had the opportunity to speak after the matches with some of the winners we've had uh, here in the quarterfinals and semifinal rounds. And if you want to check out any of that content, you can listen to it on the Cracked Interviews podcast. You can go watch the interviews on our YouTube channel as well. Hopefully, that has made up for the lack of mini-break episodes over these past few days. But again, uh, given that this is that rare opportunity for me to speak with so many of these players, get the scoop from the ground level of what's going on in the you know Challenger Tour world. Uh, how are these players feeling? How certain are they about the schedule moving forward? How uncertain are they? How difficult is everything? It's been you know such a wonderful opportunity for me to ask those questions. And hopefully uh, the experience I've had, the information I've gained will make me a better podcaster moving forward. But again, apologies for the lack of episodes. We say daily there haven't been any episodes over these fast few days. So what I want to do on today's podcast, because there's so much tennis and just such little time for all of us fans to enjoy it, is sort of recap where we are at heading into a championship weekend. Now, I'm going to start the podcast with a focus on Cleveland, because if you're a Cracked Rackets fan, it means one of many things. A, thank you for your continued support. It's probably where I should start this part of the conversation. And by the way, the reason we can do this podcast day in, day out, because of your support, because of the support from our Patreon family, and of course, the support we get from our friends at Midwest Sports. It's been a few days without a podcast, so I'll simply say go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15. But again, I am in Cleveland. I don't just have to watch these matches on a stream. I get to watch them in person. And as such, I have many a takeaways from the event. And if you're a Cracked Rackets fan, Challenger Tennis is often for you. And here in Cleveland, we have that perfect nexus of everything we love here at Cracked Rackets. Challenger Tennis, young, rising talent ascending the rankings. They happen to be young American men as well. And you hear the Michigan in my voice. That's something, you know, these are players I have followed closely throughout their career. And then we have a huge college tie to all of the action unfolding in Cleveland as well. So I want to go in depth, break that down, because again, This is what I'm watching most of the day, but of course, there has been some phenomenal drama across the globe as well at the ATP and WTA level in particular. If I would have told anyone before the week started that we were going to have Lloyd Harris take on Aslan Karatsev in the Dubai final, you would have slapped me in the face. You would have said, Alex, you are in no condition to go work a professional event in Cleveland. Get your shit together. But that is what we have unfolding here in Dubai this week. So, of course, I want to talk a little bit about that. I'm going to do a deep dive on all of last week's, or this week's, I suppose, ATP and WTA action last uh, next week. See, all of my weeks are screwed up, but I'm going to do a deep dive on all of that action next week. I do want to talk about the mo- you know most notable takeaways thus far, and again, set the scene for all of you listeners heading into the weekend. But, oh, I also want to talk about the Miami withdrawals, because I do have some opinions on. I- I'm aware there are other storylines going on outside of Cleveland, outside of just the results we see on court. I want to talk about them a little bit. But of course, as I mentioned, let's start with the action in Cleveland. And by the way, I don't know if that was a good opening five minutes to the podcast. I apologize if it wasn't. Clearly, I take two days off and I lose my sea legs. I felt like that was a pretty good podcast. almost felt like an interview more than an introduction. I apologize for that. Anyways, let's get into today's show. Let's have some fun. It's time for me to get a little bit loose. Worry about the tone of my volume because, again, if I start to whisper at any point, it's because it's 11.55 here and I'm in a hotel and not in our CR headquarters, a.k.a. my house. Anyways, the tangents are through the roof. Let's start talking about the action. And look, 
If you're an American tennis fan, you are ecstatic about everything that's unfolded in Cleveland, but in particular, the final we have tomorrow should be exceptional, as Bjorn Fertanchelo, the 27-year-old American who has dealt with just so many injuries over the past few seasons, and in particular, it's been his foot of late, he finally looks healthy, finally looks to be regaining the form that got him, you know, in the top 115 of the world steady, and eventually, you know, he snuck into the top 100 in the rankings a few seasons ago. You look for Bjorn Fertangelo. He reached number 99 in the world back in June of 2016. Feels like a lifetime ago, June of 2016. I'm still in college, but, you know, Bjorn is still only 27 years old, turns 28 later in the season, and, you know, for him, the story of late, it hasn't been, the reason he, he's down to number 286 in the rankings has nothing to do with his form when he's been on the court. It's simply just been a lack of availability to go and play matches, and you look for Fertangelo, and I've talked about this before, but for him at the end of last season, as he was trying to chase some matches, he you know went and played a couple of challengers on the clay in Forley in Biela, then comes back home to the States, plays the carry challenger where he lost a straight set match, uh, I think it was 6-4, and 6-3 and three I see here, to Jack Sock, that was a fantastic level of play. He then goes and beats Daniel Galan, who we saw make a semifinal last week uh, at the ATP 250 level. Fertangelo beats him in straight sets in Orlando before losing a three-set match to former roommate Mitchell Kruger. And you look for him this uh, year. You know, he starts off his season in Delray Beach, gets a win over Kevin King, which gets ATP 250 points, but that's a match we've seen played at the challenger level a bunch of times of late. And then you know, he loses a really weird three-set match to Tiafo, but credit to Bjorn Fertangelo, who, again, he was able to play in Ann Arbor to start 2020. He was able uh, to have a couple of results here and there uh, post-pandemic, but, you know, you, you talk about the matches he played in 2019, he, you know, his season ended in September, and then in 2020, he's able to play the one event in Ann Arbor, but, you know, wasn't able to play anything after that because his foot acted up again, and he simply put, you know, he wanted to, and I had the chance to ask him about this, he wanted to go work on his level. He realized he wasn't where he needed to be, and so what did Bjorn Fertangelo do? He goes and plays two Futures events in the build-up to this Cleveland Challenger. Now, he makes the quarterfinals in Naples before losing to Christian Harrison in three sets. He loses first round the next week of a Futures event. He hasn't lost first round of a Futures event since probably 2014, and to follow that up by coming here on the indoor hard courts and Simply put, blitzing through the competition he's faced thus far, and he did it in the way Bjorn Fertangelo always done it, is he just looks fit, he looks confident, and for Bjorn Fertangelo, those are always the two biggest question marks because no one's going to question his talent, no one's going to question his ability on the court, the litany of things he's able to do. Simply put, Bjorn Fertangelo is just a rock. I mean, you, you when the scouting report, how do I beat Bjorn Fertangelo, it's a really difficult scouting report to figure out because he can do a little bit of everything. The forehand side, uh, it's a dynamic ball that he hits, and he's able to take it down the line. He's able to take it short angle cross court. He's able to elevate that ball to buy himself some time, hit it on the run. Of course, I would argue his better wing is his backhand wing, which gets a little flat at times, but his ability to drive that ball through the court, you know, the serve 
I suppose is his biggest vulnerability at the ATP top 100 level because while it's fine, it's not exceptional. And you know, so many of these guys now will get to Lloyd Harris. All he has to do is hit the big bomb and then everything comes so easy to him in the rest of the game. But you know, Bjorn Fertangelo, it's such a tough out, and you look at the guys he's beaten here this week, Kwiatkowski in straight sets, Richard in straight sets, Galarno, you know, physically he just worked Alexi Galarno down, the current NC State senior All-American, who of course, uh, quarterfinalist here this week, was exceptional in his matches, but just kind of ran out of legs against Fertangelo, and that's because that's what Fertangelo does to you, he makes so many balls, and then the moment you leave a ball short in the court, he's going to punish you, he's going to take that ball early, and again, it's not the most uh it's not the biggest ball he doesn't you know he's not going to blow you off the court with his power but he can just do a little bit of everything and he needed all of that in his semifinal match tonight against Alexander Kovacevic. Kovacevic, the super senior for Illinois All-American, reaching his first challenger semifinal this week. And, you know, we've talked about Kovacevic before, but if you haven't seen him play, what a fantastic ball striker. And I had the chance to talk to Fertangelo after his semifinal match tonight, which he won 6-3-2-6-6-1 over Kovacevic. And he was absolutely raving about Kovacevic you know he he didn't even want to talk about his performance the whole time he goes did you see that did you see how well he strikes the ball do you see how talented Kovacevic is and my answer to him was yes I do because in terms of contact points it's about as beautiful as it can get from Alexander Kovacevic and you know sometimes his serve in particular that second serve sits a little bit short but you know, his ability to take the one-handed backhand return on the rise his contact points his ability to drive through the ball and You know, his feel around the court, his on-the-run cross-court forehand today was just sensational, folks. Just sensational. And, I mean, for him to really get worked in that first set, I know it was a 6-3 set, but Fertangelo took an early break lead and never looked back. And just, you could tell Kovacevic at the beginning of the set struggled with the pace of Fertangelo's ball. And I'm not saying that, you know, it's funny because... Two minutes ago, I just said Bjorn Fertangelo doesn't hit the biggest ball, but it's the consistent depth. He hits about as close to a top 100 ball as you can hit in each and every rally, right? Every shot he hits, it's going to be within you know one standard deviation of the prior shot. And uh, simply put, that's the difference in this match was that Kovacevic just kind of ran out of legs in the third set. It was such a fantastic effort for him to take the second. And you know he played such aggressive tennis, did such a good job of tracking down everything Fertangelo threw at him and you know, taking balls early, being the aggressor, protecting his first serve. But Fertangelo wore him down in the end. And again, for Bjorn Fertangelo, who now makes his seventh career challenger final here this week, first since 2018, it's possible not to feel anything but good for him. And I know talking to him, I was asking, how are you feeling physically? And he said, you know, about as you would expect, uh, given the fact that he has played, what, now five matches here or four matches this week. But Look, he's going to need to empty the tank tomorrow because he's going to have an absolute dogfight on his hands as he takes on 20-year-old American and rising star on the ATP Tour, Jensen Brooksby, who's into his second career challenger final here in Cleveland, but second challenger final in the past month. Brooksby won his first title in South Africa earlier uh, in February, and I had the chance to ask him about that. I think on multiple podcasts, but of course here this weekend as well, if you want to go check that interview out. But, you know, you look for him here in his performances now in 2021, just in general. He's 12-2 and 2 
to start the season, and that doesn't include the UTR success he had as well. He you know, you look at his uh, results now here at the challenger level, I believe he's now won nine challenger matches in a row. And, you know, today, what a flipping of the script against Emilio Gomez. He comes back from a set and two match points down at both 5-2 and 5-3 to take the match 2-6-7-5-6-4. And, you know, I hate to say this because I don't want to put the Gruskin jinx on him, but it reminds me of a lot of of Stefan Kozlov back in the day. Just Brooksby doesn't overwhelm you with his power. It's not this overwhelming athleticism, but that I, this is such a superficial thing to say. I wish I had a more quantifiable, better, you know, tangible description for you. That boy's a tennis player. That boy understands that boy. That young man, excuse me, I would be furious if someone called me a boy at this point. That young man understands how to work a point. He understands how to move the ball around. And in today's match against Emilio Gomez, the adjustment he made because he was trying to open up the Gomez backhand wing. And if you've seen Emilio Gomez, the former USC Trojan national champion who uh, made his first, uh, I think it was his 11th semifinal of his career, but his first challenger semifinal since 2019, He's got a big forehand, and that's what he wants to hit. He's got tremendous speed around the court and an ability to find that forehand even in defensive positions. But, you know, Brooksby in the first set tried to keep him honest by attacking that forehand side by, you know, anytime Gomez would go inside in or take a backhand down the line, Brooksby would take the bait and he'd say, okay, you're going to give me the space. I'm going to take my next forehand cross court and try and take that space away from you. But Emilio Gomez moves too well. He beats you to the spot. And the moment you give him a forehand, uh, he takes control of the point. And in the first set, his forehand was just too powerful for Brooksby to handle. And, you know, Brooksby was just unable to get the ball away from that forehand wing and really you know he wasn't having that much success through the second first half of the second set either but then I mean he just went into park the bus mode which is so impressive for a 20 year old to be able to do because again it's not as though Brooksby has these overwhelming weapons but he just was so calm so focused on targeting the ad side of the court getting the ball to that wing of Emilio Gomez and even when Gomez would try and go down the line and bait Brooksby into attacking the forehand and giving him space Brooksby wouldn't take the bait he stayed disciplined he knew if he could get enough balls to that Emilio Gomez backhand wing he would either earn himself an approach shot opportunity or earn an error from Emilio Gomez whether it's a backhand error or Gomez pushing and trying to hit some sort of inside out or inside in forehand from a ridiculous position and I mean the other thing about Jensen Brooksby he plays such high percentage tennis you look at his first serve percentages and I know first serve in isn't the biggest story but he made 77% of his first serves today 79% yesterday I think he made you know 65 and 63% in his first two matches and you look for him across the board it's funny because in today's match he made 77.3% of his first serves what was only excuse me won 57.4% of those first serve points but won 70% of his second serve points and again just was so laser focused on playing high percentage tennis down the home stretch and just making the match physical and just, you know, continuing to compete. I mean, he fought off match points at two different moments in this game. He he broke Emilio Gomez. Emilio Gomez is 29 years old and, you know, Brooksby is barely 20 and just such fantastic result for Brooksby. And he's, you know, he, he continues to grow to such a nice 
young man as well, and I've had the chance to chat with him a bunch. And it is weird because talking to him, I'm pretty sure he's my little brother's age or right around it, and I do feel almost protective at this point. I'm like, that's my guy. Like, he's such, you know, it's so clear how much he cares, and uh, it's also kind of clear how green he is, and I say that in the best way. This is just a guy who is out here right now to compete and to become the best tennis player. The pressures of prize money, sponsorships, maintaining rankings, all of that stuff, none of that registers for him right now. He is just enjoying the ride, enjoying the ascension, and competing his tail off. And that's the story for Jensen Brooksby, and that's why he's such an exciting young prospect. And yeah, again, I mean, he's dropped one set here on the week. He's 4-0 in tiebreakers. He's been clutch. And I know physically he's ailing a bit as well. And of course, he's a 20-year-old kid who dealt with a ton of injuries last year. just played his first three months, or really, he's just finishing his first two months of full professional tennis action. And, you know, Fertangelo's going to push him physically tomorrow. Fertangelo's going to hit him with a consistency and, a, I suppose, a discipline that I don't think he's faced in any of his opponents thus far. Gomez was so aggressive with that forehand, but definitely started to spray down the home stretch. I just don't think there's going to be any point of the match where Bjorn Fertangelo starts to spray, but... I mean, again, for Jensen Brooksby, first two challenger finals come in his two of his first three challengers here in the 2021 season. Again, doesn't turn 21 years old until October with his results this week. He's not going to have to worry about his protected ranking anymore because his live ranking has him up in the rankings to a new career high of number 229. And considering the 20-year-old barely played any professional tennis last year. You look via tennis abstract in 2021 uh in 2020 he played a grand total of 0 professional matches. Now he played 41 back in 2019 and he does have a few points to defend come the US Open where of course he qualified and ended up making the second round back in 2019. He beat Tomas Burdich before losing to Basilashvili, but you know, up until that point he's pretty much playing with house money and uh yeah. He, I, it would not shock me at all to see him ascend into the one, top 150. And again, the weapons aren't extraordinary, but the guy just knows how to win. The guy knows how to adjust. He's such a great competitor. I'm really looking forward to seeing him against Fertangelo tomorrow because he's going to need his best stuff. And I do think Bjorn Fertangelo actually is going to bring out the best in Brooksby tomorrow. So that should be a fantastic final. And again, those are your two finalists. I know that's 15 minutes on two players, but they have been that good this week. And again, they're both outstanding stories. Bjorn Fertangelo looking to work his way back into the mix, into the top 115, and put himself in a position to play 250s to get into Grand Slam main draws, which would make sense given 27 years old, you want to be in the prime of your career uh, doing those sorts of things. Of course, Brooksby, the young American on the rise, uh, the ascending talent, he, you know, now you look at the trio of him, Nakashima, and Sebastian Korda, it wouldn't surprise me if you think more fondly of them than you do of the Fritz, Tommy Paul, Francis Tiafo, Riley Opelka quartet that's already established themselves in the top 50 because these young talents are all that good, and they all play a little bit differently as well, and I think that's another really fun thing for all of us American te- men's tennis fans moving forward, but just a couple quick other things on the action in Cleveland. Uh, you look for Emilio Gomez, have to feel good for him after he gets this semifinal, and you know, Gomez was 38-23 and 23 on the challenger level in 2019, and you know, he made his first two challenger level finals, won his first challenger, le- uh, first challenger level title uh, in Tallahassee, 
and then just had all of his momentum ruined by the pandemic last season. He goes 5-10 and ten in challenger matches and just wasn't able to find his rhythm at all for him to come to an indoor hard court in Cleveland. I do want to say, by the way, these courts could not be playing more differently than they did the last time I was here. Two years ago in 2019 when Max Cressy won the title, these courts were lightning. You know, everything skid. If you had a big first serve, you won the point. I watched Cressy break people. Uh, that's not the case these years. These this courts are playing low. They're playing slow. I think that's benefited both Brooksby and Fertangelo, particularly on their backhand wings. Uh, but it also benefited Emilio Gomez because it gave him a bunch of extra time to run around the ball. And again, on a slow court, good luck getting a ball by Emilio Gomez. He was great this week. And I mean, you look at his rankings. He's you know I think he came into the week at 177. Now he's got some points to defend here in this spring clay season, but. For Emilio Gomez, I believe he is currently number 168 in the world. (sighs) A lot of points to defend, uh, but certainly uh, he's in striking distance, and he should get into into French Open qualifying, assuming there is a French Open. And by the way, red alert on all things French Open, given where the COVID numbers are right now in France, just given what I'm hearing from a bunch of different people on the ground. That's a story I wasn't hoping to monitor, given we had a French Open last year, but keep an eye on things, folks. That's all I want to say on that for now as I continue to learn more. Also, keep an eye on things surrounding the New York Open. I've got... I don't quite have a scoop prepared, but I've got the outline of a scoop surrounding the New York Open, so be monitoring that storyline moving forward. Anyways, uh, that's Gomez, and then I mentioned Kovacevic. What a fantastic ball striker, and Fertangelo was so funny. He goes, you know, this guy's still in college, and he goes, I don't know why. I do know why. It's because he's got one more season under his belt, the training he gets in Champagne, He is so loyal to his Illini team and getting the chance to talk to him. I think just he, you know, he was candid and, you know, he was like, look, nothing made me happier than that national indoor weekend because I think it gave a belief to him, to Alex Brown, uh, to the guys who had been around like, oh, man. 2020 really was an operation. Our Illinois team has a chance to be really good here in 2021, and I know he is fired up for the Michigan match next weekend. Anyways, that's a tangent for a different time. Kovacevic has been outstanding. You know, Alexi Galarno, quarterfinalist here this uh, in Cleveland. As soon as he's done with his senior season, I think he's going to get to the top 400 of the rankings pretty quickly. I think he could ascend even higher than that top 250 by the end of his first full year on tour. In terms of some of the other notable performers, Chris Eubanks, I thought was pretty good through his first few matches, just ran into the buzzsaw in Emilio Gomez, who, again, was a match point away twice from making our final here this week. Michael Redlicky, I think this court speed kind of helped him a lot. I actually really liked Yasuke Watanuki, uh, the 22-year-old Japanese player who lost to Kovacevic in a three-set quarterfinal. Kovacevic has just played outstanding tennis here this week, but I also want to quickly mention the doubles because we have our ideal challenger final. You get guys who are just veterans of the challenger doubles tour, and if you like challenger doubles as I do, the names Evan King and Hunter Reese, who by the way, former All-Americans, Hunter Reese at Tennessee, where I believe he was an NCAA doubles champion with Mikhail Lapidus. Of course, Evan King, go blue, enough said there, and I got the chance to interview both them and their opponents in tomorrow's final, Notre Dame's Alex Lawson, formerly of Notre Dame, and Wofford's uh, Robert Galloway. And of course, uh, again, all of these guys, 
just looking to find what can separate them and sustain their professional tennis career. And you watch the quality of doubles for King and Reese and Galloway and Lawson. And, and if you've ever been coached in doubles, if you've ever been tried, someone's tried to uh, tried to teach you the fundamentals, tried to, what I want to say, uh, it's not eloquent. I'm forgetting the words. If anyone's ever tried to teach you the fundamentals of doubles, uh, a perfect manifestation would be to go watch the film of the teams King and Reese and Galloway and Lawson. They play... You know, they try to get two up. They all communicate so well. Their switches, their poaches, what they want to do with the return. They're signaling on the return. They're saying at the net, if you're the net person during a return point, are you going to poach? Are you going to stay? And just the degree of communication. These guys are professionals, professionals, and the quality of play is so high. And if you are not, go watch tomorrow's Challenger Doubles Final Livestream.com slash ATP because I promise you, Galloway Lawson, lefty righty cop boat. Taking on King and Jung, uh, King and Reese, King and Jung, Jason Jung, his former Michigan tennis partner. Hey, great shot, King and Reese, another lefty righty duo. And by the way, I had the chance to ask King and Reese because traditionally, and Lawson and Galloway do it this way: if you're a righty lefty combo, you try to keep the forehands on the inside of your body. That means the righty's playing the add side return, the lefty's playing the do side return, so that when you're poaching at the net, you have forehand volleys on the inside of your body. Uh, King and Reese don't do that, and I find that fascinating and thus I wanted to ask them why and credit to them. They were very candid and we nerded out in our interview and so if you're a fan of any doubles at all, I think you're all going to really enjoy the interviews we've done this week. Evan King, Robert Galley, Hunter Reese, uh, Alex Lawson, all fantastic people. I just got to throw this in here in case he listens. Alex Lawson may have the best legs in all of men's tennis. Those things are freaking tree trunks. I mean literally we had to stop before we filmed. I was like, dude I can see your calf on camera. And he's like, really? Like, am I, am I cramping? And he was just joking around or whatever. I was like, no, man, like, you're, it, it, it's hilarious. Um, anyways, should be a really fun day of tennis tomorrow in Cleveland. With that in mind, let me run through the rest of the action going around across the globe. And again, if I would have told you coming into the week that it was going to be Aslan Karatsev knocking off Andre Rublev in the in the semifinals, knocking off Yannick Sinner in the quarterfinals, both three-set matches, knocking off Lorenzo Sinego in a three-set round of 16, even knocking off Dan Evans in a three-set round of 32 match. Ooh, his round of 64 against Igor Gerasimov was straight sets. Otherwise, he would have run the three-set gauntlet. But would you have been surprised? I bet the answer would be yes. However, you look for Aslan Kartsev, and you know the semifinal in Australia will always stand out. But he's fifty and thirteen, folks. Fifty-five-zero and thirteen. Fifty wins, thirteen losses since the start of the twenty twenty season, and the majority of that success has come at the challenger level. But guess what? When you win two challenger titles, make four finals. That success is probably going to translate, and it's going to give you confidence because you look at the wins he had at the challenger level. It's not like, you know, he's beaten players outside the top 400. You look at the wins he's assembled over these past few, uh, over these past 15 months, wins over, you know, at the challenger level. Guys like Yuri Vesely and Thomas Mahak and, you know, Pierre Uz-Herbert and Henry Laxanen. He beat Stan Wawrinka in a Prague challenger match. He beat, you know, Mahak a couple of times. Van de Sanschulp, who we've seen win a couple of ATP 250 level matches. He beat Tennis Sandgren in St. Petersburg at the end of last season. You know, the signs were there for him to make a jump into the top 100, into the top 75. But were the signs there 
for him to rank, jump all the way now in the live rankings to the ATP top 50, all the way up, in fact, inside the top 40 to number 33 in the world. No, I would have called you crazy if you tried to tell me that was going to happen before the season. And honest to God, I've been talking to countless other people who think about these sorts of things and asking, is there any similar comparison for what Karatev is doing this season uh, when comparing to other runs we've seen in the past? And I think the answer is no. Like, I really cannot think of a single apt comparison. Stan Wawrinka going from top 20 player to Grand Slam champion. That's the most consequential jump we've seen. I suppose you could make an argument that that did impact change the next five, you know, that five-year span, 2012 to 2017, 2013 to 2018, whatever you want to say, his prime five years where that absolutely flipped the script of the ATP Tour, probably took a couple of majors away from guys like Novak Djokovic and Andy Murray, who were then in the primes of their careers. And you know, Karatsev's not taken major titles away from anyone, but for him to, you know, again, show this degree of success, you look at his ATP-level results here on the season, I mean, who has he lost to? He lost to Dominic Team in three sets in Doha. He lost to Novak Djokovic straight set semifinal of the Australian Open. That's it. Those are his two losses here in 2021. Who has he beaten? He's beaten Rublev, who... You know, his 23-match ATP 500 win streak snapped. Uh, it's a shame he's not going to pass Federer, but that was an incredible run. And that win streak, by the way, irrelevant. It's one win streak. He's going to have more win streaks throughout his career. But to beat Rublev, who's been a top six player over the past 12 months, to beat Yannick Sinner, who's been a top 20 player over the past 12 months, to beat Sinego, who we saw win a title at the end of last season, to beat Dan Evans, who we've seen be a top 30 guy over the past 15 months, I mean, obviously the wins at the Australian Open were incredible, but he continues to follow them up. And you just see a guy who's got such control, such confidence. And given the fact that he's 27 years old, he should, in theory, is he 27 years old? Yeah, 27 years old, turns 28 in September. He should be entering the prime of his career. And I suppose last season was a prelude, but just, again, who could have expected his prime to be this you know, degree of successful, and it's just for him now in the past year, listen to these numbers. He's only making 56.3% of his first serves, but he's won 76.2% of his first serve points, 52.3% of his second serve points. He's holding 84.2% of the time, and we always say if, you're, if your hold percentage is over 80%, you're in the elite category. If you're over 90%, you're in the elite of the elite, the best of the best, the John Isner sort of stratosphere. But around 84.2%, I believe Federer's career hold percentage is like 87.8. So yeah, that's really freaking good. He's also, his break percentage over this stretch of time, 33.0%. I've mentioned this before, break percentage, how frequently are you breaking your opponent's serve? Prime Novak Djokovic was 34.2%. So again, he's serving a little worse than Federer, and he's breaking serve at a rate a little worse than Prime Djokovic. The numbers reveal that he has been a top 40 player for the past 15 months. Our eyes are just now starting to catch up with those numbers. But again, Karatsev, 
I just his ability to take the ball early, his how compact that backhand is, and again his ability to drive through that forehand, his comfort moving forward, and his comfort playing plus one tennis off the first serve, his huevos to just play to win, to go for his shots, to say you know what I'm confident. I, you just see it feel like he's a guy who's like you know what I am riding house money right now. Might as well play through the finish line. And look, he's probably the favorite tomorrow against Lloyd Harris, who. I've talked about, uh, I think I talked about him earlier in the week, but now 26-12 and 12 in his last 52 weeks. He got wins this week over Dominic. Uh, let's just go back through qualifying. He beat Gabashvili and Rola, then beats O'Connell, Dominic Team in straight sets, Krajinovic in straight sets, Nishikori in three sets, and now Shapovalov, 6-7-6-4-7-6. You look for him on the week in his main draw matches through one, two, three, four, five victories. He's been broken four total times. And you look for him on the first serve. Uh, he's making about 72% of his first serves this week. He is winning about 84% of his first serve points. Goes without saying, that is the elite of the elite. If you're winning over 80% of your first serve points, that's better than Isner. That's, you know, that is the Isner Rayonich Kyrgios category, and that's how big of a server Lloyd Harris can be, and then, you know, from there, it opens up everything else. The big forehand, he wants to play plus one with his willingness to move forward, and, you know, again, he is a guy who's six foot five, six foot six. Your modern-day athlete can move well for a size, use his length, and leverage it into power, and just, you know, again, today's match against Shapovalov was big hit. Power tennis. Let's you know he served big to the Shapovalov backhand, drew the errors he needed to draw. He played big to that side. He was assertive with his forehands. And again, in this match, I believe there was only uh, one break of serve, and it came. Or excuse me, there were three breaks of serve, three breaks of serve. I think there were three breaks of serve. Two for Harris, one for Shapovalov in the match. Uh, Lloyd Harris did his job. Made sixty-eight percent of his first serves, won eighty percent of those first serve points. Played plus one tennis, and again for him in those last fifty-two weeks, he's winning seventy-six percent of his first serve points. He's holding eighty-three point six percent of the time. I just gave you guys the rants, and now you know he's not breaking serve at the rate Karatsev is. He he is a little bit one-dimensional, and you know he wants to go for broke on those returns, and it's a luxury he can have because of how consistently he is holding serve right now. He can afford to be a little bit more aggressive in those return games. But, you know, Karatsev's the more well-rounded player. Karatsev's certainly confident, and you look for both of them, though. They're both in pursuit of their first ATP-level tour victories for Karatsev. This is actually his first ATP tour-level final for Lloyd Harris. You look for him. He made his first final back in 2020 in Adelaide, so second final for him, but both of them in pursuit of their first titles. Going to be a really interesting match. Should be certainly a fun one to start our day. And, you know, again, it's Harris and Karatsev. I want to recap Dubai more next week, but... Some of the performances we saw, you know, from Rublev, from Shapovalov to get to the semifinals, very, very encouraging. And, you know, they're the number two and three seeds here this week. Shapovalov technically held seed. Cards have played really well in the semifinal. Rublev is right there, and I don't have any concerns about Andre Rublev. It's one loss, and so you know, again, whatever it has the win, it has more to do with Cards than anything else. For Shapovalov, I think he's now what like two and ten in ATP level semifinals. I don't care. Like, I think he continues to get better physically. I talked about this earlier in the week. He's Jack now. Like, he is a 21-year-old, 22-year-old kid who's still now growing into his body, becoming a man. And you can just see that. And just physically, his combination of power and speed, really, really special. And he's still learning 
to rein that speed in. But, I mean, in terms of the toolbox, Dennis Shapovalov still has it all. And I just think Lloyd Harris is a bad matchup for him, and it kind of exposed some of his vulnerabilities still. But I thought Shapovalov was excellent this week and, you know, good wins over Hercats and an informed Chardy in the round of 16 and quarterfinals, respectively. Uh, just got hit off the court today by Lloyd Harris. Again, today's win had more to do about Harris, in my opinion, than it did about Shapovalov. Uh, but overall, been a fantastic week of action in Dubai. Let's quickly move now to Acapulco, uh, where we have our quarterfinal. I, I mentioned earlier, I'm, it's now 12.27 a.m. here on the recording, so I guess if you took the over, I was going to mention the time over two and a half times. Uh, I think you just hit that. Congratulations. Go cash in with our friends at DraftKings, dkng.co slash cracked open. But uh, again, now 12.27 here, and of course, they're still playing matches in Acapulco as of recording this podcast now. I believe one of the matches is in the book, and he who should not be named, Alex Zverev, knocks off Dom Cope for 6-4-7-6. Zverev was the beneficiary of a withdrawal in the quarterfinals from Casper Ruud. But he's going to get the winner of Stefano Tsitsipas and Lorenzo Musetti. And again, okay, you're disappointed disappointed Shapovalov and Rublev aren't facing off in the Dubai final. Don't worry. We're either going to get Zverev Tsitsipas or Zverev Musetti. Are you kidding me? Like, yeah, two young stars. Sign me up for that immediately. And again, I feel like there's tons more to say about the action in Acapulco last night. Tsitsipas FAA thriller was exactly that, a thriller. I mean, Musetti even beating Dimitrov in the quarterfinals, that was surprising to me. I really thought Dimitrov, you know, given the three-cent matches, Musetti had played in the build-up to beat Schwartzman, to beat Tiafo, and then to beat Dimitrov in straight sets the very next day. If you weren't convinced the young Italian was going to be special, I hope this week uh, certainly solidified that, particularly because it's not on clay. He's doing this on hard courts this week, and, you know, that's spectacular. But again, more Acapulco for all of you down the road. I suppose it is worth mentioning now, Lorenzo Musetti, 37-14 in in his last 52 weeks. Again, 37-14. in Is that Aslan Karatsev good? No. But that's really freaking amazing for a guy who turns or who just turned, I think, 19 years old at the start of March. So uh, again, Musetti Tsitsipas playing as I'm talking should be a very fun match that we will talk about on tomorrow's mini break podcast to run through the WTA action in St. Petersburg and Monterey, and you know, again, two. Uh, events on the WTA Tour this week, but the majority of the top-level players we'd seen competing in the Middle East choosing—I should say the majority of the top 30 players we've seen compete in the Middle East, because even if you're not top 30, you still are a top-level player parody, the name of the game in the women's game. Anyways, we still have a lot of great competitors here this week, but none of the big names perhaps some of you listeners are looking for, although if you're looking for a former top 10 player, you have that in Daria Kasakina. She advances to another semifinal here in 2021 with a fantastic 166-162 victory over number two seed Veronica Kudermatova. You look for Kasakina now. She is 22-11. and 11. In her last 52 weeks, she here in 2021 to start the season is a tidy 13-4 and four with the title she won at the Phillips Island Trophy in Australia. You look at her losses, Rabakina, Kanepi, Sapalanka, then a tricky one to Alize Cornet last week. That's the little unexplainable, but, you know, the win she has over Kudermatova, over Buzkova, Danielle Collins, Pavlachenkova, all player Mukova. Oh, that was a withdrawal. So scratch Mukova, but... Again, those are all top 
40, top 30 players right now, and Kasakina, who struggled with injuries and struggled with her confidence. And, you know, right now with her victory, I believe she's in, at number 53 in the Halayev ranking. She was up to number 10 in the world in 2018. And I don't know, given the emergence of some of the young stars in the women's game, if she's got a top 10 game anymore. But she's got fantastic athleticism, her ability to move the ball around the court, particularly on that forehand wing, and then make you uncomfortable with that backhand slice. It's very much a clay court game, but it works because of how athletic she is, how well she moves, and her movement gives herself a chance in every match. And again, Kasakina, only 23 years old still, which is just crazy to think, given she's already been a top 10 player and back. But fantastic week for her now. She's got a really fun match tomorrow against Svetlana Kuznetsova, who... I certainly looked good this week in uh, St. Petersburg. She got a win in three sets today over Kirstein yesterday, or excuse me, two days ago for Kuznetsova. It was a straight set win over talented young Chinese woman, Xin Yu Wang, who I'm a big, I mean, oh man, you should go watch her hit the ball. She hits the freaking cover off it. I think I talked about her on the last podcast, but big Xin Yu Wang fan here uh, in this guy. You look, again, for tomorrow's semifinal match, as I mentioned, Kuznetsova versus Kasakina. You're also going to have Zvera Zivanareva, who, you know, really good win for her. I believe in her first round, Zivanareva knocked off Rodionova. Uh, in her second round, Zivanareva, yeah, that's what it was. She knocked off Fiona Farrow, the number three seed, 7-6 in the third 3-1 win for her today over Gasanova. She now plays Gaspar Jan, the talented Russian who, oh my god, her one-handed backhand, or am I, is she the one with one-handed backhand? I may be screwing that up, I apologize, but 2-5 and five win for her over Alexandrova. She was great today. And so again, that's your semifinals in St. Petersburg in Monterey, and we will reflect on all of this action even more next week. Reflect, we will reflect on all this action even more next week. Uh, but right now, your quarterfinals underway. Three of the four done. And Lee, the talented young American who, by the way, 29-10 and 10 since the start of the 2020 season. She has ascended her way easily into the top 100 rankings. And she finds herself, I believe, in her f- second WTA career uh, level, uh, second WTA level semifinal of her career. She knocks off, uh, I believe, Sai Sai Zhang, 7 5 6 1. Layla Fernandez, the talented young Canadian, 5 and 3 win over Kuzmova. You also had Golubic, 2 and 4 over Kalinskaya. Now, Sarah Saribets Tormo, as we speak, match point against Shmadova. She won the title in Guadalajara last week, and so, uh, you know, only 23 years old. If it's Saribas, Tormo, Golubic, Fernandez, and Ann Lee, what a fantastic weekend of tennis. And you look again, tomorrow's semifinals, we are going to get Ann Lee versus Golubic Fernandez, very likely to play. In fact, let's see if that match finished. Did it? It did. Sarah Saribas, Tormo advancing three and five. So those are your semifinals in Monterey, and that's where we're at across the board right now, heading into Saturday Championship at the Cleveland Challenger and at the ATP event in Dubai. A couple more, I suppose the ATP Acapulco Championship that weekend uh, on Saturday as well. Of course, the reason we have so many Saturday finals here this week is because Miami Masters qualifying begins next, I believe, is it, or this Sunday, or is it Monday? I think it's this Monday is when it starts, and Look, talking to all of these players, if I could tell you how many players I caught looking up flights to Miami here this week in Cleveland, thinking to themselves, ooh, am I going to get off the list? Am I going to get into qualifying at the Miami Open? The majority of them, the answer is yes, because you look at the draw 28 
of the top 100 players, I believe, pulling out of consideration from playing this event in Miami. And, you know, no Djokovic, no Nadal, no Federer. If I would have told you, and I'm stealing someone's joke here on Twitter, I apologize, whoever you are, but if I would have told you Andy Murray would be the only member of the big four left in a Masters event here in 2021, you would have laughed at me. I would have said that to start the season. But again, um, they're all out of this event. There are a bunch of other young players out who are nursing injuries or just don't want to travel to the United States, don't want to have to deal with the quarantine. Again, you can totally understand that because we are still amidst a pandemic. And, you know, all of these players now, it's been eight weeks of competitive action really since you left Australia through this Middle East swing. Some of them just want to go home. Some of them want to hang out with their family. Some of these top players have made enough money and have earned the right to say, you know what? I'm good this week, and if you're a tennis fan, you're not going to hold that against the Miami Open because guess what? Who's the best of the rest? We always are wondering that an- the answer to that question, and we're going to get to find out as we still have plenty of top competitors in Miami. And so, again, anyone calling it, I, it's the easiest joke to make. Oh, you know, new acceptance, me, new new out, this person, yada, 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 all of these different things, and, you know, uh, or who's, you know, the Miami challenger, I believe, is what I hear, hear it being referred to, and again, I have no problem with people being funny, but let's be clear, it's still going to be a really, really fun event here in Miami, and again, so the people who have withdrawn, no Djokovic, no Nadal, no team, no Federer, no Monfils, no Corino Busta, Okay, after that, no Davidovich Fokina hurts. He would have definitely been a, a fun player uh, in the mix. But, yeah, like, we still have Medvedev. We still have Zverev. We still have Tsitsipas. We still have all of the heir parents competing uh, for the right to win another Masters title. And so maybe it'll be someone new. Maybe this is the Karatsev Miami Open that we've all been waiting for. Who knows? If you listen to the map, that's certainly the way things are trending. Uh, but, yeah, I... I, I have no qualms. I still think Miami's going to be awesome. And guess what? If you don't like the men's action, there should be a ton of exciting women's action for you as well. So, of course, Miami on the horizon next week. But a ton of action still to get through this week. So much tennis, as I mentioned. So little time. Such little time. And, you know, again, I know it's 50 minutes of me going solo. I apologize for that. I apologize for the lack of episodes these past few days. It really has been such a pleasure for me to be in Cleveland. And, you know, over the next few podcasts, you'll hear me drip out little tidbits and pieces of information I have learned over the past few days. Uh, Again, it's just so nice to be back in person. I start every morning in the workout room because if you stay in there in the morning, this is a secret, by the way, if you attend an ATP challenge or ATP tour event, whatever it may be, and you're in the same hotel as the players, go in the workout room in the morning because that's where they're going to go. They're going to go stretch. They're going to go do their thing, particularly at the challenger level. Unfortunately for us, all of us are in the same COVID bubble and so, you know, we, we all have access to the same sorts of things right now, and they've done a really good job of maintaining that bubble. But the amount of time I've spent sitting on the bike and chatting to some of these players and chatting them up, it's just it's been a fantastic experience. And again, I think it will make me a better podcaster for all of you listeners over the next few weeks. So shout out and a huge thank you again to the entire Top Notch Management team for having me. Very much looking forward to being a part of tomorrow's finals. Uh, again, it's going to be King and Reese taking on Galloway and Lawson at 1 p.m. and then for Tangelo taking on Brooksby at 3 p.m. If you 
have missed any of the action. You've missed any of my interviews from with the players on site in Cleveland or anything we've discussed here on the past week in Cracked Rackets. Be sure to go catch up on everything on our website, CrackedRackets.com. Like, rate, subscribe, review this podcast, the Great Shot Podcast, Cracked Interviews Podcast, and all of our Cracked Rackets shows you need. More immediate update, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We are at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly, I am at Great Shot Pod. Shout out, as always, to the super producers, Max Ligner, Daniel Westoff, who have a f- of an editing job to do day in, day out. By the way, if you watch that Fertangelo interview, the you watch it, you don't just listen to it, you'll see the camera angle slightly off. That's because I'm Sans, Daniel Westoff, super producer this week in Cleveland, and that is why he usually runs the show, because I must have done something to knock off the camera angle. I apologize to that. It's not debilitating to the interview, but certainly you'll be like, huh, that's not a Westoff camera angle. It's not. That was a Gruskin camera angle, and so I apologize for that. But with that in mind, for our wonderful super producers, Fligner and Westoff, our friends at Midwest Sports, and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break. And we'll see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.